This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Holla Back. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Emma Gunavanhana, aka Emma Guns, is an award-winning beauty journalist and podcaster. She's written for a number of magazines and newspapers, from the Sunday Times style, the Telegraph, Women's Health, and onwards. She landed her first job at OK Magazine as the beauty editor. And since then, she's written for a host of glossy titles and interviewed celebrities from Bette Midler to Britney Spears to Elizabeth Hurley to Jean-Paul Gaultier, Kim Kardashian, and more. After over 10 years working on magazines, Emma decided to shift her career and move into freelancing. And in 2016, she launched her podcast, The Emma Gunn Show, where she covers topics including beauty, health, wellness, mental health, eating disorders, business, entrepreneurship, and finance. I'm so excited to have her on my show. We're going to discuss growing up in the English countryside, landing that first job as editor of OK Magazine, and the important life pivots that we have to take to keep our hearts and souls fed She's transitioned. She's here to share untold stories, and I'm so excited to have her. Emma, welcome. You're in my heart. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. I am so excited to have you on my show. We have so many things that we can talk about and so many kind of like paths I feel like that we can identify on. But let's just talk a little bit about you and who you are and how you grew up. I want to talk about your childhood. I know you came from the quaint English countryside. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about what that meant to you. Well, very much so. And I really did grow up in uh, an area of the UK called Kent, which is the Garden of England. So it's really leafy and green and quaint and Tudor houses and castles where um, Henry VIII used to live, that kind of thing. But as a kid... I was just tantalized by the technicolor of movies, music, 
MTV. Like I honestly, I feel like the majority of my childhood was just looking at the TV going, I want to be there. I want to do that. What type of movies? Like what was it that was turning you on? I, do you know what it was? It's the fantasy. I fell in love with the Hollywood ending, this idea of, and actually I know that might seem quite unhealthy, but I really feel like it gave me this sense of anything is possible. But I very much knew, and I don't know if the same was true for you, because obviously the Berkshires, from what I understand it, my geography is not amazing. It's kind of close enough to everything, but it's like a world away. Very much so. And that's how I felt about my where I grew up, it was close enough to London where everything was happening, but it was really a world away. But it made me feel like I'm not going to stay here. I'm definitely going to go for the bright lights in the big city. So you left your small hometown and did you go right to OK Magazine or how did you get into your magazine career? Let's talk a little bit about that transition and how you went after those bright lights and big stars and how you got there, how you got to the MTV Music Awards. (laughs) Well, actually, it was not a clear or straight path. So I was not clever enough at school. I did not get the results. So right from an early age, I would say 14, it was made very clear to me by my teachers, you know, if you want to go and work, they weren't American, if you want to work on a magazine, you have to go and do English at university and you're you're not going to get the grades. So you're going to have to rethink. And I I remember I did um, one of those careers tests. I think I was about 16, 17. And it came back that I should be a prison warden. Uh, which is a noble job, don't get me wrong, but it certainly wasn't what I was expecting the result, the test to tell me. And so actually, I left school, I went to university, but completely clueless, thinking that this dream I had was never going to happen. And so another dream never crystallized. And I went into a sales job, and it was all quite boring. I couldn't even really tell you what I was doing. And I remember I went to New York, and I was walking around Manhattan, and I just thought, no, I won't accept it. I will not. I refuse. So I came back, quit my job, and I started working on local newspapers. Yes. And so I did work for free. I would do news stories about local, you know, literally like tea parties and cake sales. <laughs> and I went to put myself through postgrad in journalism. And by hook or by crook, I somehow got this work experience placement on OK Magazine. They invited me back a few times. I think I was back there my third time. And I've made, you know, I knew everyone's coffee order, which, you know, back in the early 2000s, that was the key. And halfway through my, my third stint, the beauty editor resigned. And so I thought, I've got to ask, because if I don't ask, I'll never know. And then the editor said, I know you're going to ask me. And yes, okay, it's the biggest risk I'm taking, but go on, see if you can do it. And the rest is history. I love that. So what I was so drawn to with your story is that you were beaten down. Shame on that teacher. <laughs> I just actually had a question on my podcast that I asked, that someone asked me, like, was there a professor in my life that really had amazing an amazing impact on me? And I had many great professors, but the one that stood out in my head was the one that knocked me down or tried to knock me down. So I really relate to that being told you're not enough or, you know, you're not going to be able to do what you want to do. And saying, no, I'm going to do the work. You know, there's always going to be the naysayers in life that try to knock us down. And by forging through that noise, we can, in fact, attain whatever it is that we want. Can you talk a little bit about that side of the experience? So you were told no, you dug in and you got to OK Magazine. And then what were you given? You were given an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I was given an opportunity, but I was also willing to do it for barely any money. Right. Which, which to be honest, I you got think, the promotion, but not the raise. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I think in a way is, is part of the journey. I think 
doing the grunt work and living on barely anything is a really valuable part of my story. So I'm very happy that it's part of the narrative. But I think I remember I had a three month probation as many people do. And there yes. were some people within the magazine who weren't exactly that happy about my appointment because I was just this plucky work experience girl. And one of them was my features editor. And three months in, she called me over to her desk and she, and she said, I did not believe in this. I was furious. I thought we should have given it to somebody qualified with more experience. But my God, if you weren't born to do this job. <laughs> Amazing. So that led to 10 years at OK Magazine, right? I mean, from that, talk about loyalty and when you find the right fit. I love when people find jobs and they really love it and they stay in it, you know, for a long period of time. I always say it's only work if there's someplace else you'd rather be. I love that. I've read, I've read you say that and I just thought that was so perfect. And in truth, I did, I did outstay my welcome and I did stay too long. And I think that can happen when you land a dream job because your dream becomes a reality and it takes a while for a new dream to form. And I felt that was definitely what happened. I thought that my dream job, my next dream job after that would be beauty director on one of the big monthly magazines. But unfortunately, you don't pivot from a weekly magazine that talks about celebrities in the main to Vogue. It's just, it's not a career path anyone's really ever taken. Right. So I was going to have to wear that. But I, it took me a while actually to figure out what the next step was going to look like. And I had a real period of I don't know what it will look like. I know this isn't it, but I have no idea what it is for the first time ever. That's something I really want to talk about because I think a lot of people find themselves in that place. I mean, I get a lot of questions about it. So can you talk about how you manage that and, and maybe give some people some pointers based on that experience? Well, I can definitely tell listeners what not to do. <laughs> and what you don't do is stay in that job and complain. And that's definitely what I did. And I look back on that and I feel regretful about it, but it's a lesson. I, you know, I was relatively young. I stayed in it and instead of changing my circumstances, I just complained about the circumstances that I was in. And that served nobody. It made me miserable. It made the people around me not want to spend time with me. And it was because I didn't realize until a lot later that I was struggling with, with my mental health, which I didn't know. So I just thought I was permanently unhappy. Right. <laughs> I didn't know I could feel any different. And so I just, I, my uh, mind, I guess, got caught in this very negative gear and I just couldn't shift out of it. And in the end, what shifted me out of it was them offering a voluntary redundancy and me thinking, well, I don't know what the next step is, but this is a step that seems like almost like a compromise. It kind of, I don't mind taking this one. So let's see what happens. And so my hand was forced. So I would definitely say if you're in a situation where you feel like you've been somewhere too long or it feels stale, make a plan. And I've heard you talk about this before. Don't just dream it. Actually figure out what it's going to look like, figure out how much it's going to cost, figure out what it might cost you emotionally as well as financially and make a plan and go. And that's the way to do it. Don't hang around. It's like hanging around at a party with a miserable look on your face. Right. No one's going to come and talk to you and the party's not going to get any better because of it. Right. A hundred percent. So can we talk a little bit about you recognizing that it wasn't just the job that was making you unhappy or life circumstances, but you needed help. It was bigger than that. It was, it was chemical. And how can you offer some advice to people who aren't quite sure what they're feeling? You know what I mean? And how did yeah. you pinpoint that it was something deeper than just soul searching? It's such a good question. And I think what eventually happened, truthfully, is I definitely had a breakdown. 
because I just had pushed and pushed. I was like, I'll push it away. I've got this to do. And in the end, I just, I wore myself out. But I think the other thing when I look back is I didn't realize I had any agency. I didn't realize I could wake up in the morning and think today's going to be a good day. I always thought that things were happening to me and that they were always bad. Yes. (laughs) Or more to the point, and I'm sure people can relate to this, you get up in the morning, you do your level best to get up and present yourself and go to work. And then it seems like everyone else is having a really easy time of it. And you think, oh my goodness, like I'm wearing odd socks today or my tights won't stay up. And, but everyone else seems to be having a great time. So the biggest shift for me was understanding that I could do the smallest thing, which is wake up and say, today's going to be an incredible day. And just appreciate the small wins, even if it was, I mean, I remember there was a time when, and it sounds so ridiculous, I was supposed to go to a breakfast meeting at Claridge's, like one of the nicest places that people can invite you to go and have breakfast or any kind of anything. And I could not get out of bed. So I bargained with myself. I said, okay, all you have to do is get in the shower. And then once you're out of the shower, we'll discuss what happens next, but no pressure. And then it was like, get out of the shower, get dressed. And this morning went on and it was like something out of a movie in slow motion. And in the end, I got to my front door and I had a major panic attack, my first ever proper panic attack. And I couldn't open my front door because I was terrified about what was going to be on the other side. And it's just that thing of, I'm glad that it got that bad because it will never get that bad again. Because it was, I was like a, a sweaty heap on the floor, sobbing about going to Claridge's. Yeah. <laughs> I love this because what I've learned about frustration, and this is through therapy, is as humans, our egos, right? A lot of times we can be frustrated because things aren't going our way in the way we want them to go. And well, right? that, for example, lockdown. So where I am in the UK, we're currently back in lockdown for another couple of weeks. We've got... And it would be very easy. I live by myself. I work from home. I'm not really seeing much other than the inside of my flat and the park nearby, which I could easily turn that into, oh, all of my freedom's been taken away. I can't see my friends. And what I have now that I didn't used to have is the tool to understand I can flip how I see it. So the way I see it is, this is brilliant. This gives me an opportunity to create more content. I really needed to figure out how to make IGTV videos, which I've never really figured out. Now I know how to do those and publish them. Great. I um, I haven't seen my mum and dad. I haven't been able to hug them for nine months. And rather than focusing on that, I think I'm showing them every day how much I love them by staying away. And yes. so it's just that, but it just depends on how you see it. And I now choose if something happens rather than getting frustrated, I think, oh, actually, I probably needed it to turn out that way. Excellent. Thanks, universe. And kind of almost nod in a weird way. And it might sound a bit woo woo, but my goodness, life feels a hell of a lot better when you, when you do it like that. Well, it is choices and it is perspectives and you really have to get in touch with self and ask yourself, what do you want? Where am I going? And, and then listen, because what happened with you, Emma, which I love is you actually wound up exactly where you wanted to be. Now you're your own journalist. So let's just go back to that a little bit. So OK Magazine was not the path to Vogue. We know that. (laughs) But Vogue maybe wasn't your path. Vogue wasn't the destination. Exactly. You weren't supposed to go there. Hi, I'm Sarah Riff, host of Having It All and Other Lies. I created this podcast as an opportunity to engage with people I admire about the pressure that we all feel. We'll talk about letting go of the expectation for perfection, embracing the chaos, and realizing that having it all looks very different to each of us. 
So I wanted to sit down and speak with people I look up to and dispel the myth that anyone feels like they have it all figured out or that they're killing it in every facet of their life all of the time. Instead, we'll talk honestly about redefining what success and happiness look like to each of us, because ultimately the only definition that matters is our own. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. So let's talk a little bit about after you went through your breakdown and I'm sure that you went and got some help as well. You talked yep. to therapists and that sort of thing and you got healthy and now you have this new healthy perspective and now you still have a world out there that's scary and not really like opening doors left and right for you. You still had to kind of, you know, pull up the bootstraps and keep chugging. So let's talk about what happened next. Yeah, I went I went freelance and fell flat on my face. <laughs> I could not get work. I've discovered that I might have been a I might have been good at interviewing celebrities and writing Q&As, but I could not write the lengthy features for the monthlies and that was a bit of a shock, especially, you know, with rent due. And actually what happened is I was listening to loads of podcasts. Um specifically I was listening to Tim Ferriss a lot. I listened to quite a lot of Rich Roll, Joe Rogan. And these were kind of conversations that I'd never had access to before. Right. And it really actually, when my own internal monologue was kicking me down, I was able to plug into places where I was being lifted up in a way that felt really meaningful. And I thought, right, I'm going to start a podcast. And I thought about it for a very, very long time. And I joke, and it isn't really funny, but I say that the podcast saved my life. And right. it did in many ways, because what I was able to do, what I did have from those years working on OK Magazine was a big contacts book. And I knew that there were brilliantly inspirational people from within the beauty industry who they might be household names, Heather, but you don't necessarily know the story about their brand or the failures along the way. And I was really determined that I'd had inspiration from those stories when I'd had one-to-ones with them in places like Claridge's. And I thought, well, there's a place for this. Let me put it on a podcast. But this was before I was even diagnosed as having depression and anxiety. And so actually what I ended up doing was putting myself in front of these people getting them to tell me how they overcame failure. And then I learned from it. And then so did my brilliant listeners who, who found me and joined in the conversation. And then from there, I was able to take it further. And, and I've never been shy about saying to my listeners what, what's been going on. I mean, there might be a bit of a delay between like a diagnosis and then confessing, but only because I believe that the appropriate time to share it is when you add value to it and you can offer somebody help who might be experiencing something similar. Yes, come with solutions, not problems. That's what we're looking for. Some exactly. answers in this crazy blue world we live in. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, so I just started having loads of conversations with people in the beauty industry and it just expanded. And as as it got traction, as lots more people found the show and as people wanted to be guests, it just opened up the world in a way that I'd never had before. And I've been able to get some wonderful people like Andy Podicum from Headspace. Meditation really helped me with my anxiety. and. Three, four years ago, I'm sitting on my living room floor, desperately trying to empty my mind and imagine a highway and all those things that Andy says on the app. And then fast forward and I'm in a room with him and he's telling me about his story of being a Buddhist monk. And that's kind of cuckoo crazy because I can't quite believe it, but that's the reality. So I sometimes think it looks that I um, have all these grand plans, but I don't know about you, but sometimes you don't realize that you're manifesting these things. Sometimes it can take a lot of hindsight before you go, oh yeah, actually, when I look at it, that's yes. kind of odd. That's, I think, one of, the, one of the takeaways that I love about you is that, and your story is, is that 
you really have changed yourself. You have changed your direction. You have changed your way of thinking. And that in essence has served you and fulfilling you in a way that nothing else really could. Yeah. And I don't know, I can't imagine what the alternative would be. So I do think that falling on your face and failing is great. And to your point as well, another story about me and about having to change the way I thought is um, I've been obese most of my adult life, but from like a young teen. And last year I had a breast reduction and I thought that it would be the thing that would make me look smaller. Yes. And it was quite the sucker punch to look in the mirror after those bandages came off and go, oh, oh dear. And I had to have a very, very honest conversation with myself. And that was, you need to stop kidding yourself. You're eating too much. And I had to overhaul. And it wasn't easy, but that was, that was another massive shift. Yes. Of, I can't live in this denial anymore and try and camouflage. This makes me unhappy. I carry around this excess weight and it's probably making me unhealthy. But moreover, it makes me so, so unhappy. I don't want to be like this anymore. And this is the end of it. And that's the strongest conversation I've ever had to have with myself. Okay. So you said the word denial and it's really been on my, my tongue a lot. And denial is like poison to me. Mm -hmm. Now I've recognized that for many people, different personality types and that sort of thing, uh, denial is a protection zone, almost a way for human beings, the brain to kind of take in something and give yourself time to work through it. So denial can be a, a safety measure. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take you to finally step up to the mirror and step up to the plate and really be honest with yourself? Because that is something that people don't do. And I think through COVID, it's the one thing that we have to do more than anything is get in touch with self and stand in the mirror and talk about what we're not doing right to serve ourselves. Cause we know the answers. It's really kind of simple to be like, you're eating too much. And so only you can make the change. Only you can make the change. What do you want to do now? Mm. Okay. Self, can we talk about that a little bit? 100%. So exactly as you say, it's not like I didn't know it, but I would always push it to one side. It's not, and it was almost that thing of, and anyone who's listening who struggles with their weight, you can probably relate to this. You get dressed, you go out, you see your friends. And the thing that you're hoping is that they're not really seeing you. And I think that was a prison I was in. And it sounds so, maybe it's superficial and vain. I don't know. But it was this thing of, I wanted to achieve things. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be significant. I'm ambitious. I wanted to make things happen for myself. But at the same time, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't really want people to see me. And so the way I projected myself for a lot of years wasn't ideal because I was so unconfident. And again, it was just having the surgery and then... Eight weeks later, actually, it was the eight weeks later. Eight weeks later, I had my picture taken with Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, God. And, and that's going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, actually what happened is I, she came on the podcast and we had our picture taken together. And somebody took a picture from a very unflattering angle and put it on Instagram. And I just thought, maybe it's vain of me to say this, but I saw the picture and I thought, you do not look like a successful podcast interviewing an actress and model. You look like a very ordinary, dumpy, no one's going to look at you twice. And maybe that's a terrible thing for me to say, but I just thought, I don't want that for myself. And so I just, I ended up reading this book called Brain Over Binge. And the thing about my food and eating is it wasn't as though, you know, those movies that depict 
eating disorders and you see people having these rampant binges. It was never that. Right. It was just that at every meal time or at enough meal times for it to accumulate, I was eating too much. Yeah. It's calories in versus calories out for me, or at least that's how I got a handle on it. And I had Jillian Michaels on the podcast recently, and she said, you know, some people are born rich, some people are born able to eat a bit more than others, and maybe you just can't eat as many calories as some people. And that was all it was. So it wasn't like it was, from the outside, I don't think it looked particularly unhealthy. Right. It, was, it wasn't like I was going through the drive through at midnight or anything like that. It was that at mealtimes, I was eating quote unquote healthy food, but just too much of it. Too much of it. Right. Absolutely. I think that we have overcomplicated nutrition to the point where everybody is totally confused. And I'm no Jillian Michaels, but I definitely will say it's calories in, calories out, no matter how you slice it. Preach, Heather. But these books, these diets, you know what I mean? They're all theories. You are a human being. You're not a theory. So you have to learn. What I like about diets is to me, it's like a reset button. Because someone's kind of given a manual just for the next few days or seven days or even 14 days, like, you know, follow this manual. But then you have to take what's good about it, what, what, was, what you loved about it, and take that with you and leave the rest on the table and find those little tips in life. That's what diets are to me. They're mm. little tidbits of information along your journey that you can gather until you can find your way. And it's very easy for some and it's very difficult for others. A hundred percent. And I think what I felt it was, was just a cycle of success and failure. I'd done every single diet under the sun and every single diet works as long as you do it. Mm-hmm. But the issue for me, and I'm sure other people listening will maybe uh, resonate, this will resonate with them, is it's when you stop the diet and you go back. If what you go back to is the thing that in my case is the thing that leads to the weight gain, then it's the normal that needs addressing, not the diet. That's right. And it doesn't That's mean right. you have to live your life on a diet. It mean, For me, it was about, I need to change my emotional relationship with food. And I also need to understand that if I'm halfway through watching a movie and I suddenly think, oh, I know, I'm going to go to the cupboard and get a packet of crisps, but I've eaten, I've eaten everything. I've eaten my dinner and I'm not actually hungry. I can also look at that thought and go, you don't need crisps now. And just, yes. qu- and just go, Shh, shut up, I'm watching. You know? What would you say to someone in the cinema? That's right. It's, uh, it's, it's like a habit. You know, eating becomes, it's like smoking cigarettes when you're sitting there. I mean, back in the day when everybody smoked, I smoked, I had to quit smoking. And what was hard for me to quit wasn't the cigarette, really. The nicotine, I know it's very addictive, but I could, I could talk myself through the addiction. It was the habit. Mm. And what was that uncomfortable space, space of uncomfortableness. And these are all very hard discussions that we have with only one person and that's ourselves. Well, I had a really wonderful guest on the podcast earlier this year called Jeff Thompson, and we were talking about triggering. And I'm sure you've heard this, this idea of people saying that triggers me, let's not talk about it. And he, and again, it's talking about flipping the narrative. He said, if something triggers you, you have to run towards it and you have to address it because if you run towards it, it gets smaller and you'll get to it and it will no longer trigger you. And so all of our biggest lessons in life, I'm quite sure have come from when we've picked ourselves up off the mat after landing face first. So if you are triggered by something, if something upsets you, run towards it, address it, figure out what it is. Do you know what I never used to like? I never used to like people talking about the fact that I could probably do with eating less. Why? Because deep down, I knew that I could eat less. Right. Yeah. Just run 100%. towards the triggers. Run yeah. towards the triggers, I say. I've been doing that. I, my, my trigger is, um, you know, denial. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm almost like annoying about denial right now. I'm running at it so hard. I've written letters to my mother. I've written a letter to my husband, to my best friend. Like my vulnerability point is people who don't want to deal with issues that don't want to face them forward. And if I'm waiting around for your your brain, because mine doesn't work that way. Like I need to I need to deal with it right. Now. I know exactly how I feel when I feel it usually. I'm I'm exactly the same. And one of the things I've really struggled with recently is people not having gone on the same journey that I've gone on. So if I see somebody in denial over something, maybe it's to do with their weight or maybe it's to do with mental health in the way that I feel like I've overcome or at least worked on. If they're not taking a step on the, the same journey, I feel like I... I, well, I wasn't being compassionate at all. In fact, I was being hard on them because I was attacking, almost attacking them for not doing what I had done because I think deep down I was scared mm-hmm. that what I would be if I hadn't made the steps I'd made. And I had to really shift actually during COVID. I realized I got myself into quite a negative headspace about it. And I am throwing compassion around like, <laughs> like it's an endless supply because actually... I have to understand that for somebody, the safest place they can be is in denial. And it's not for me to pull them out of there. And sometimes people aren't ready. And I was ready. So that's fine. And no one pulled me out of that place. I did it. But I, I totally hear you. And I'm struggling. And I've had to really work on the, I can't judge them by my standards. That's unfair of me. So I'm going to treat them with softness and kindness and love. And that's probably the thing that will perhaps be the most helpful, not just to them, but to our relationship. Right. I mean, I think that that is a 100% an issue that I have, you know, 100% where, I mean, I've even been called, you know, like judgmental. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, and I really am not a judgmental person. I'm a very liberal person. And I think live and let live. But when it comes to overcoming things, it's not, it's not that easy for everybody. And it's not my job to do that. Well, what's really interesting is that I was chatting to somebody earlier saying that I was speaking to you today. And I was saying the thing that I, that really strikes me about Heather Thompson is that she's the person who she's incredibly curious. She's incredibly inquisitive. And I heard actually Andy Cohen on your show call you a know-it-all. He was like, you're a know-it-all, but in the best way. And that really made me chuckle because I thought, yeah, she's an information gatherer, but she's an information gatherer who, when she's at the top of the building, she sends the elevator back down with a hamper that tells you how to get to the top. And it now makes complete sense. If somebody then didn't get in the elevator, you'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yes. I get it. Totally. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. 
With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. We've gotten into some behind the scenes, obviously people that, you know, know you and know your podcast and you're going a wildly popular podcast. And I'm so proud of you for it because I know that it wasn't easy, but you, you started it because you wanted to share stories and it came out of beauty and it came out of okay. And it came out of your struggle with your skin and having, you know, skin that was an issue for you that was, you know, breaking out. And then you had, you know, undiagnosed depression. I mean, like you would never know all of these things sitting here looking at you right now. But I always ask my, my guests, like, how do they find their freedoms? Because, mm-hmm. you know, freedom from day to day can change. But really, how do you find your freedom? How do you act now that you have all this wisdom and live fearlessly? And I I mean, at 50, I always, Tina Knowles said this one to me, and now I haven't stopped using it unapologetically. Yeah. How How are you finding your freedom? I think it really is, I stopped being my harshest critic. I'm realistic with myself, but I stopped beating myself up. And I just come back to the same thing every day is, do I feel okay about this? Because if I feel okay about this, then it's fine. I think we've all got really pretty good internal moral compasses. Yes. So you always know if you're a little, like you need to do a little bit of work somewhere. So I try to just come back to that. And do I feel good about this? And some days I'll wake up and I'm sure everyone can relate to this. I'm sure you can relate to this. You might wake up and you think, I'm in a funk today. This is, today is not my day. And sometimes I ease into that and I think, right, well, I'll be really kind to myself today. But when I wake up and I've got a fire in my belly and I'm like, I can do anything today, I'm relentless and I'll go for it. So living fearlessly, I think, has, I feel like it comes with age. I'm 42 now, 43 next month. And I feel like I can live in a way now that I couldn't have 10 years ago because I've fallen flat on my face a lot. I've lived a bit. I've learned a lot of lessons. And I think it's that thing of I'm not scared about learning more. I actually, you say it as well. I don't see them as failures. I call failures stepping stones to success and like you call them lessons. But I do feel like if I'm triggered by the idea of failure, then the best thing I can do is embrace failure and love it for what it's going to teach me. And that's how I live fiercely. I love that. Oh my God. I wish we could put that on repeat. Everybody put that one on repeat. (laughs) Just rewind and listen to that part again. Because it's so unbelievably true. And in closing, as we age, 
we're age shamed. We've always been taught that, you know, aging is a terrible thing. Everything starts to, you know, give up. And I think it's exactly when everything starts to kick in. You know, aside from like, you know, sagging skin, gravity taking over a little bit, but I can still fight that. You know, obviously, thank God we have lasers too. You know, we have to, you know, we have to age gracefully and we have to, you know, get a little help where we need it. I mean, if that's what makes you feel good, Mm -hmm. but moving your body, getting out in the air, uh, trying to de-stress, you know, these are all the things that really are making me tick right now. So what are some of the things that are making you tick right now? Exactly as you say. So I, uh, like you... I grew up in the countryside, moved to the big city, and now I'm back in the countryside because I realized it was so important for me to be near wide open spaces. So I am near a big park and I go walking outside and I love it. Sometimes I'll listen to audiobooks, sometimes I'll listen to podcasts, but other times I'll think, I'm not even taking my phone today because I want to listen to the birds. <laughs> oh, that's a big step. Oh my God. I don't know if I, I need to do that more. I, even when I go in the woods, like I'll turn it, I, I, but I have it on me. And yeah. there's, I, I didn't take it, Jesse and I went for a walk the other day and I didn't take my phone. And we're also pressured, you know, we have to provide content to our listeners. So, you know, I, I want you to be on my Woods Walk with me too. I want to, you know, Instagram you live, you know, but it, I'm trying to find the balance in that too. You know what I mean? And I, so it is good to leave your phone home. It is. Or what you can do is you can take a phone out that doesn't have a SIM card in right. and you can take pictures and then you can do it all when you get back. But that's um, a great that's idea. Another thing. Yeah. But okay. fitness is really important to me. I've always worked out, but since losing weight and having a breast reduction, I can work out very differently because yes. I don't have big boobs in the way anymore. So. <laughs> no black eyes for you. <laughs> so I, I have fallen in love with working out in a way I used to run because I used to think that um, if I ran, uh, I would be skinny. Yes. And now I enjoy lifting weights, I, but I don't do it for anything other than to make my body strong, to make it healthy. And because it feels really damn good to yes. build up a sweat in the morning. Doesn't it feel good to be strong? I love that my legs were made to carry me and I could run if I needed to. I could run from a, a attacker. I, could, <laughs> I, I feel empowered by my strength, you know? One of the greatest things that has happened in lockdown is that I started doing yoga with Adrian on YouTube. And I started out on um, not being able to hold a plank. And now I can hold a plank. I can lower myself down into Cobra, into Shavasana. I can do all of these things. And I remember sort of towards the end of the summer, lowering myself down and not plonking and flomping onto my yoga mat and going, oh my goodness, I felt strength. And just noticing that progression and just feeling wonderful. And I know you, another thing, obviously I can't not talk about skincare. And I know that when you had Carol Radziwell on the show, she said, skincare is a job. Yes. And it really, it really is, but it doesn't, it just means that at a certain point, and for me, it was a couple of years ago, just before my 40th, as somebody who's been given all the marketing spiel and told all about all these wonder ingredients for years, I actually am very lucky in that I have a lot of very learned friends in the beauty industry. And I said, right, what's the deal? What do I need to be doing to put my skin, to be supporting my skin in the best way possible? And now it doesn't take a long time but it's something that I do consistently, morning routine, evening routine, don't smoke. So, you know, any, any of that. And I look after my skin and actually lingering over that a little bit in lockdown, doing a few more face masks. I had Renee Rouleau on the podcast recently, and she sent me this amazing face mask. Just doing things like that makes me feel so incredible. And it's a lovely act of self-care and self-love to say, I'm worth this time. I'm going to do it. 
I love at home spa days. They really are important and getting to know your skin. Okay. So I would be remiss because you're such an expert in beauty to ask just about, you know, what skincare is really, you know, best for what you're finding, especially based on people's finances and understanding, like, I mean, skin is not just about what, uh, you know, your face looks like, you know, your skin is your largest organ. And for me, it, it, it tells a story about how we're dealing with our life, what we're, how our health is like, you know, so for me, there's not one magic potion product out there. I, what's worked for me is to strip my skincare of anything that's not natural. So, I mean, I actually have it sitting right here next to me, you know, Rossuticals. Ah. So it's science and nature living together and it's all 100% natural botanicals, you know, the seed oils, the fruit Ah. oils are all in this. And so when I stopped putting perfumes or anything that was not of nature on my skin, the change in my skin was very quick. For me, I like to put my hand, myself in the hands of the scientists. So yeah. I am all about vitamin C, retinol, mm-hmm. hyaluronic acid. And it's not the sexiest of skincare routines because those active ingredients tend to come in, you know, airless pump uh, action devices or pipettes. And the great thing about the democratization of uh, skincare in the last few years with brands like The Ordinary and The Inky List is that you can get all of these single ingredient serums at a really inexpensive price. So you're not paying top, top dollar. You can also pay top, top dollar as well, obviously, depending on which brand. But for me, I just keep it really simple because I know that vitamin C is a gold standard. I know that retinol is a gold standard. If I were in Manhattan, the first place I would go is to go and see Dr. Dendi Engelman. And I'm sure that she would show me me some vitamin C and some retinol. So I really do put myself in the expert hands. And I know that they, if you I mean, I do like a double blind clinical trial as well. And if you, <laughs> and so, I know, it's I gotta so love that. <laughs> and that. And that's where you get the results. But having said that, Heather, there's so much to be said for a beautiful face oil that smells delicious, that's natural, that just allows you to do facial massage. I'm never going to take that away from anybody. Right. But I'm at that age, just before I hit 40, I spoke to some really really good friends in the beauty industry. And I said, right, tell me exactly what to do. And they told me, and I saw a real shift in my skin. My skin responded, but I kind of lost that sensorial aspect of it because vitamin C, retinol, hyaluronic acid, and the occasional glycolic, it's not that pleasurable. Well, it's actually easy though. I think that we've overcomplicated just like nutrition. Agreed. So really quickly, Retinol is important for anti-aging. It's the one, and it's science-based, but you could also get retinol. It doesn't, it's it's not made necessarily in the lab. You can pull it out of natural things, right? Uh, retinol is a vitamin A derivative. So there's a whole metabolic pathway. That's right. You've got your, your retinol, you've got your retinoic acid, you've got your esters and you've got your retinol palmitate. So if you go to uh, Sephora, for example, and you see a retinol on the shelf, it's probably, um, or oh, what's the 0.3%? Mm-hmm but it is really effective. But it comes from vitamin A. Yeah. So every single thing that science has built steeps in nature first. Mm-hmm. So I just want you to know that if you, as an anti-aging, if you want to look at three things that we talked about. So vitamin C is really important for, it's, it helps with environmental aggressors. It helps repair and renew. It's an antioxidant. It supports the formation of collagen as well. So the skin scaffolding. That's right. I was going to say, so it helps our cell regeneration, helps collagen. So, and it's a totally natural thing. And by the way, yes, topically and ingesting it. So vitamin C, retinol, and then amazing moisture, hydration. 
you know, and that's where you're talking about hyaluronic acid. So it's yeah. basically like holds like triple its weight in water. And it's like a plumper because it keeps your face hydrated. It's the moisture molecule. And I did do a stint on QVC. And so I was very practiced at saying it's that it holds a thousand times its own weight in water. See, a thousand <laughs> times I was wrong. So if you take some of the like sphere away from it and you just break it down again, skincare to your point, like you have to just like anything, you just have to take some time and dedicate some time. You've heard it now from Emma Guns. You've heard it now from Carol Radziwell, and you're hearing it now from me. Vitamin C, retinol, and a really good moisturizer that has hyaluronic acid in it. These are yeah. like three musts in your skincare routine. 100%. I'm putting more, I'm putting moisturizer on right now. <laughs> well, I've become a, in lockdown, I've become a big fan of the Jordan Samuels hyaluronic mist. Oh, okay, good. So that's the tip. So tell us the mist and then tell us the uh, dermatologist we should be following in New York City. <laughs> oh, Jordan Samuels is the, he's got a great range. He's a former ballerina, well, not ballerina. He's a former ballet dancer, amazing yes. ballet dancer. His range is brilliant. He's got this beautiful hyaluronic mist that we had the most intense heat wave in London or in the yeah. UK. And so I would have it at my desk, grab it from the fridge, spritz my face and it would stop that tight feeling and then dr dendy engelman who's an amazing dermatologist consultant dermatologist also dr dennis gross friend of the show he's amazing and his alpha beta peels are great i don't know if you ever use those oh my goodness his amazing <laughs> okay great so great well i mean clearly we could talk for an hour more which we're gonna do which we're gonna do <laughs> exactly <laughs> but i just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your journey and, you know, being an advocate for hitting the mat, because it's the only way that we really overcome and grow and evolve as human beings and really find our true calling and find our true stride in life. So Emma Guns, you're a true inspiration. You're Aww. such a beautiful person inside and out. I'm so uh, happy for your success and your growth. Keep doing what you're doing on your podcast, please. Everyone loves listening. And yeah, you're using that Rolodex from OK Magazine perfectly, <laughs> sister. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. I've loved it. Well, thank you so much. So Emma, where can our guests find you if they don't already follow you? So Head to your preferred podcast platform and simply type in The Emma Guns Show. I'm at Emma Guns on Twitter and Instagram. And if you fancy speaking to me and thousands of other listeners of the podcast, then just go to Facebook and type in The Emma Guns Show, the forum, and we'll welcome you in with open arms. And there's usually a Keanu Reeves gif floating around in that group because we do love Keanu in there. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Emma. I am definitely going to have to tune into that. <laughs> My, next, my guest, Emma Guns, I thank you so much. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along at I am Heather T and send me any questions. Please don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join us next week for another episode. And don't forget my holla back section where you can DM me or go on heatherthompson.com and ask me any questions you want and I'll be answering your questions at the end of each podcast. Welcome to Holla Back. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. Ad Adventure MXJ. I love that. Ad Adventure MXJ asks, I'm curious of your story. When you were 20 years old, what were you working on and what, you, what were you thinking at the time? Did you see yourself as a career woman first or a wife and mother first? 
Well, geez, that's so great. I haven't thought back to my 20s in a long time, but I was 100% career driven. I was not thinking about finding myself a husband or making babies at 20 years old at all. In fact, if I remember correctly, my boyfriend at the time was about 10 years older than me. And one of the things he said to me is, is like, you know, I don't think I want kids in life. Like, you know, what do you think about that? Because we were living together. We were a little bit serious, but I wasn't like hungry to get married. And I said to him, I have no idea. I can't tell you if I want kids now or I don't want kids now. I might say I don't want them right now because right now I don't want them. But, you know, in another 10 years, I might really want them. So at 20 years old, I was really focused on drinking up life, experiencing as much as I could. I definitely saw myself as a career woman. And what I was thinking of at the time was how I was going to make my mark in the world and how I could be a sponge and absorb all the experiences going on and use my eyes to travel and see the world and see people. And once I focused on myself, I think everything else fell into place naturally. At JJ Jazz Hands, JJ Jazz Hands asks, what is it like raising children in this era of activism? How do you teach gratitude? Thank you so much for this question because it's a very important question and it's a very special time. My children are so aware, so much more aware than I was in the 1970s growing up about what's happening in the world, what's happening in politics, what's happening on our streets. And I'm so grateful for it. Donald Trump taught my kids the word pussy. Paula Dean, you know, she taught my kids the N-word. You know, all these things came out on the news. This all came out real time in the world. And I use those opportunities to teach my children a little bit of the history of this country. When that terrible thing happened with Paula Deen, I watched the movie Lincoln with my children. We talked about it. You know, so I think that this era of activism is important that we're involving our children at a young age. I mean, I was told that politics wasn't my business as a child. Well, it certainly is. And I don't even think we're teaching enough about American history from kindergarten through 12th grade to our youth and our children. So teaching gratitude with my children in today's day and age with all that we can see on on social media, you know, on our own handheld screens, the struggle, the pain, My children have gratitude every day. We realize how blessed we are. We have, you know, gratitude, even even COVID, you know, we moved from New York City full time. I mean, we still live in New York City, but we moved my my kids out of their school in New York City because of COVID. And having an experience from a private school to a public school, you know, it is a wonderful experience. They're embracing it completely. And they have gratitude for what they had in New York City in their private schools and what was afforded to them. And they have gratitude for what they have in in the country and the experiences that they are gaining there. So I think that it is a ripe time to involve our children, to let them see the world out there. I call it the Windex era, quite frankly, because the glass is clean and we can all see our neighbors and what people are thinking and what people are doing and what needs to change And in order to affect change, we have to listen and we have to enact change. And that's going to happen with our youth. So thank you for that question. In My Heart is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson, Karen Silverstein, and Heather Thompson. 
The show is edited by Maureen Vigas. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Heather T. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.